just a disclaimer that what Tara Reid is saying are allegations. Some of them have been supported. Some of them have not been for obvious reasons, like the fact that she and Joe Biden would have been alone. The Biden campaign has denied all of Tara's allegations. Interestingly enough, Joe Biden has not. And he hasn't been asked to in the media appearances he's done since this story came out. Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. You can hear the Katie Helper Show on iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can support the show at Patreon, patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. On today's show, I'm releasing an interview that I did with a close friend of Tara Reid. I'm also playing two interviews I did, little mini interviews. One is with Ryan Grimm, who broke the Tara Reid story. Another is with Rich McHugh, who's covered Tara Reid's story since, and the fact that she filed a police report. So make sure you listen to the whole episode, because after the Jane Doe interview, I talked to Ryan and then Rich. As listeners probably know, I interviewed Tara Reid at the end of March. She alleged on my show that Joe Biden had sexually assaulted her in 1993 when she was working for him as a staff assistant. Now, Reid had come forward about some of her experiences working for Biden in April of 2019. When Lucy Flores came forward to accuse Biden of inappropriate touching, Reid was one of the seven additional women to share their experiences. At the time, in April 2019, Reid told a journalist that Biden had inappropriately touched her, put his hands on her shoulders, had run his fingers up and down her neck. She also shared with the journalist that when she complained about this treatment, she was basically pushed out of her job. But there was more to Reid's story. And she wanted to tell it, but she didn't feel comfortable telling it to the male journalist she was talking to. Right after coming forward about the touching and sexual harassment that she experienced at Joe Biden's Senate office, she was smeared online. People accused her of being a Russian agent because of things she had written about Russia. And it even affected her employment because she alleges people weren't interested in working with her because when they Googled her name, these articles about her would show up. Also, she was doxxed and threatened. But she really wanted to share the rest of her story. So she emailed dozens of journalists and politicians and advocates. She tweeted about it. She tweeted that there was more to her story. She was really desperate trying to get her story out. And she finally connected with Time's Up, a nonprofit founded to help women tell their Me Too stories. As Ryan Grimm reported at The Intercept, Time's Up refused to represent Tara. They told her it was because she was going after someone running for federal office and that that would jeopardize their 501c3 status. They didn't tell Tara that the public relations firm that works on their behalf, SKD Knickerbocker, managing director, Anita Dunn, is the top advisor to Biden's presidential campaign. So Ryan publishes his piece and I interview Tara and there is near silence. It's picked up in a handful of publications. Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty interview her on Rising. Amy Goodman interviews her. 
but it does not become a major story the way it did when Ryan Grimm also broke the story about Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. And it's so obvious that there are some people who even write articles attempting to justify why the media is ignoring it. You can hear all about this, by the way, on the last episode of The Katie Helper Show, where Nathan Robinson and I go over all the media smears against Tara Reid. Also, make sure you listen to the actual interview I did with Tara Reid. Okay, so... Tara Reid has a friend. We're going to call her Jane Doe. Now, Jane is one of the people Tara told about the sexual assault. Jane doesn't want to go on the record under her real name, but she's not anonymous. She's identified herself to journalists. The New York Times interviewed her. The Washington Post interviewed her. The AP, Vox. So it's not a question of not knowing who she is. She merely doesn't want to go on the record and publicly reveal her name. So something interesting happened. There's been all this blackout about Tara Reid. There's been victim blaming And a real bias. The New York Times, for instance, edited something because the Biden campaign wanted them to. And actually, the executive editor admitted this, which is crazy. And the latest one is that NPR did a short little story on Tara Reid. And a couple of interesting things happened. They kept mentioning what Biden supporters think. Biden supporters also question a few specific things. NPR never mentioned what Tara supporters think or what Biden's critics think. It's almost like they're directly parodying Biden talking points. Biden supporters also question a few specific things. Her outspoken support of other Democratic candidates. Tara Reid likes politicians other than the man that she's accusing of sexual assault. That's really suspicious, right? These effusive online posts that she had written in the past praising the Russian leader Vladimir Putin. As if that's relevant. They engage in a lot of the rape culture perpetuating tropes that I pointed out elsewhere, bringing up the fact that she's tweeted positive things about Biden. And they wonder why, as recently as 2017, she praised Biden online. As if that means she wasn't assaulted by him. You know who else has made that argument? Harvey Weinstein's lawyers who tried to use emails sent to Weinstein by his victims that were quote-unquote loving to prove that he hadn't actually assaulted them. And in case you didn't know, that did not work. But even after our reporting out of the story, Lulu, there are still some very big questions. You know, some of Reed's details have been inconsistent. And the classic, she changed her storyline. And her story has changed over time. Which just is not true. Anyone who cares about sexual assault and trauma knows that people frequently don't come forward with all of their allegations at the same time time. Something that Tara's detractors bring up a lot is the fact that Trump has also been accused of rape and sexual assault, which is true. More than a dozen women have publicly accused President Trump of various incidents of sexual assault. And that he faces more allegations, which is also true. Biden has never been accused of sexual assault before. How does that factor into this story? And those things are fine to bring up, but not fine to bring up when you're using them as an excuse to dismiss what Tara is saying. I can't believe we're living in a world where news organizations so openly peddle the talking points put out by the Biden campaign. Okay, I didn't expect to get that angry. Anyway, so here's the thing. NPR records an interview with Tara's friend, Jane Doe. NPR did speak with the friend who corroborated Reed's account. But they decide not to release it. Now, if you've heard NPR, they have interviewed people in the past who are anonymous and they'll put voice disorders on them. But for some reason, this woman, Jane Doe, they decided not to use her. 
What they have instead is they have Tara on one side. They refuse to run the interview they recorded with her close friend who can corroborate that Tara told her about this when it happened. But they do have on Dennis Toner. He's a longtime Biden aide. I also spoke to Melissa Lefko. She was a junior staffer at the time. Here is the interview I recorded with Jane Doe. Here's what you should look out for in terms of what Jane says that corroborates what Tara has said to me and to others. One is that Tara had told her at the time about walking into an argument. When I walked in, people's voice were raised. They were arguing. There was a legislative assistant. She turned to me and she said, the senator thinks um, that you're pretty and that you have nice legs and he wants you to serve drinks at this event, fundraising event. So, so do you have to wear the bunny ears that you have in her costume? Yeah. I mean, what, what the hell is this? She also corroborates that Tara told her that she had been asked to dress less provocatively. Uh, she was told to dress differently. She corroborates that Tara told her that she had complained about this treatment. And she also says that she suggested that Tara complain. Naively enough, I'm like, well, go to your boss, you know, go to someone in the office, go to HR, you know, report it, you know. She also corroborates that Tara made a written complaint outside of the Senate in a congressional building. Forget the name of the office, yeah. but basically it was outside of the... Senate world is more of a high level, higher level congressional. She confirms. You'll see during the interview that she expresses how much she dislikes remembering what Tara told her. I treated hearing that initially as a, how can I help my friend feel better? And afterward, I tried to forget every bit of it as if I drove by a bad accident on the highway. And because this was the first time that I spoke to Jane, I didn't want to press her about those details. After that interview, I felt like we had developed some trust. And that same day, I called her back and asked her, do you remember any details? And she said, she did share that she was held up against a wall. When I said, did you feel like you could walk away? That no, that his hand went where it shouldn't below the belt, without her invitation. I recorded this interview after I spoke to Tara, but before I released the interview with Tara. Can you tell me how you met Tara? Sure, so um, she and I met when I was in Washington, D.C. for uh, internship, and I, uh, for housing, stayed in a place we all refer to as the nunnery. Um, it's the Thompson Mar it's still around, the Thompson Marquardt Hall, across from Hart Senate Office Building, and she was living there, I was living there, we tended to run into each other at breakfast type of thing, just started chatting, hit it off, and just started a friendship that never left. And do you remember what she said to you about working for Biden? So when we met, uh, she was actually, when we first met, she was with Panetta. That was a very good experience. And uh, after Panetta, she ended up at Biden's office. And I was not. Such a great experience. You know, as I was there for an internship during college, you know, going to and from D.C. and talking 
keeping the friendship going. So even though I was back at college during some of this, you know, we still we still talked. A couple of things um, that I think are important is that I told her not to come forward. I, I've never been in camp. Pick up the phone. Tell someone who can get your experience out. Because it's not like he's going to pick up the phone and call and apologize. Right. She's not going to get an apology. Her life is already diverted from a course it could have had a great deal because of the loss of confidence and everything else that went with it. Um, yeah, so damage stuff. Like, you're just asking for more. So, um, you know, that's one thing. And the other thing is, back then, back there, there was nothing resembling me too. There was nothing resembling Time's off or anything to help, you know, women who are at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I had very positive experiences in the different offices I worked in on Capitol Hill. So much so that hearing of her flat out wrong and bad experiences made me feel guilty. Because when she first said some things, I'm like, oh, he's one of those. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, the guys are okay to go out with in the dating world and they're what you avoid. Same thing for bosses. Yeah. I, through the luck of things, had wonderful, professional, supportive, respectful bosses. And so when she started sharing, you know, first little things and then worse things, it was just that, okay. He's one of those to avoid. And naively enough, I'm like, well, go to your boss, you know, go to someone in the office, go to HR, mm -hmm. you know, report it, you know. And, you know, she did those things. And it's just nothing, nothing happened. The, you know, interns and a lot of staff are not, they're either not paid at all, they're there for college credit, or they're paid nominally. Right. So a lot of the perks came to, oh, here's a ticket for uh, a hospitality suite, or here's a ticket for something at the Kennedy Center, right. or here's an office with a window. Right. So when those things that are free gimme perks start slipping away and you start ending up in a broom closet with no windows. I mean, right. there's literally an episode of West Wing with a basement. I mean, there are good offices, there are bad offices. And a lot of things started changing for her in the workplace. You know, they put her in a horrible, tiny office. And, you know, at that time, I mean, now, I mean, Everybody has a camera on them with their phone. Back then, you literally had to carry a camera. I mean, bad behavior was rampant because people weren't caught. It wasn't documented. And if it was, it was documented with people who just looked the other way. Right. And, you know, one of the things years later that lingers and bothers me is that if she had been, and this is just a gut check, 
has she has she been the only one who ever had any kind of issue in this zone with Biden? If she were the first and the only, then everyone she would have brought it up with in his office would have said something like, hang on, let me get to the bottom of this. I need to talk to someone, figure this out. It would have been, okay, haven't seen this before, need to figure it out. It was canned. It was, okay, here we go. So we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. It was so theatric in a way of if it were only her situation there would have been surprise there would have been scrambling there would have been figuring things out They, they didn't scramble they didn't struggle to figure out what to do it was just all right so now we're going to go down this path with her and but and I, I believe that she was not the first, and I believe that she was not the last because yeah. of how they responded. Uh, to can't. Uh-huh. Secondly, I was annoyed at the time that uh, she was told to dress differently. And this ties back into when we were working on the hill. I mean, today, you know, and it's a very different dress code today. I mean, this was back in the Princess Diana, roughly necklines, long sleeves for fashion. I mean, I mean, we look like nuns compared to the way many women dress today. And it was annoying because what they were saying was she needed to stop looking pretty because she was not dressing. I mean, when we lived at the nunnery, I mean, you kind of dive into each other's closets. You share clothes. And, I mean, it was nothing unbuttoned. It was nothing down the front. It was nothing yeah. short. It was just, especially, she's a beautiful person on the inside and out. And mm. that's one of the frustrating things of her negative experience is that it took away some of that beauty spark. But she still thinks the world's a good place and, you know. She's helpless in that respect because she made Steve down. Everyone's a good person still, um, which just annoys me. But she's my friend, so what do you do? But back then, I mean, we went out. We never were left alone. I mean, she, those eyes melted men. She was stunning. And she's from California. She carried herself with class. And, I mean, she was just the total package. So what she was really hearing was, put a bag over your head. Right. Because she wasn't dressing inappropriately. Right. They were just just putting the blame on her. And do you remember her telling you about the incident? Okay. I do. And to be quite honest, in my life, I treated hearing that initially as a... How can I help my friend feel better? And afterward, I tried to forget every bit of it. As if I drove by a bad accident on the highway. You know, they're gross things that you just don't want to commit to memory. To cue back up, to think of. They're things you repress on purpose. And it was just so gross and vile. 
I, I haven't made a point to try to remember it. Um, so, I mean, but, you know, I, I do have to say that, you know, it's not like I met her last week and she said, oh, once upon a time this happened to me. I mean, it was back then. And just even hearing a friend go through something like that, the resources available today were not there then. They just weren't. There were no websites to point her to with ways to start pulling her life back together or cope or not get depressed or anything like that. You know, your resources were whatever you knew and whoever you knew. That was it. Um, you know, again, it was it was just sticky and, and gross. And, I, you know, I'll be quite honest. When I see women come forward at different points in time, my initial thought is, oh, really? Sure. Hmm. And yet, I think it's because deep down, I think people are good people too, just enough to not want to believe it. So it's just like, I can't go there. I can't let myself go to a place to see right. that person actually doing that thing. So it must not be true. It must not be real. But you know, when a friend caught you, when you have a couple friends in the world and one of them calls you and walks you through things, it's like, you just feel helpless. There's anger that you should have been there to help your friend. There's anger for the person who hurt your friend. And yet it's her life. You know, she has to decide what she's comfortable doing after such a thing. And she and I are on different ends of the continuum as far as that goes. I mean, she she has a daughter. I don't have a daughter. She's concerned about the future workplaces her daughter will be in in general. That, you know, organizations need to not hope certain people go away as a way to deal with things that might happen. Because you know what? We're still humans. You know, we're not robots yet. So these things are going to happen. It's a matter of trying to put people on notice that it's not okay. Letting women who have these things happen know there are things that can help them. And just, it's not a boys will be boys world. Back then, back there, it was. Do you remember, like, do you have any memories of, like, where you were when she told you about what happened? What she was like? You know, what her mood was like? So I was back on my college campus and she called me and uh, she was confused. I would say if there were a word cloud of how she was, um, yeah, she was definitely confused, mm -hmm. um, disoriented, um, not as upset as I would have been. She, I mean, she was she was upset, but she wasn't angry. She was processing. She, you know, reached out to me in part, I think, to help her process. Like, not how big a deal was that, but just 
what am I supposed to do with this? And sort of that emotion of somebody gives you gift that you would never ever ever ask or want for it's like oh great now what do I do with this it's just that you you don't even know where north is and she was just completely spinning and unfortunately for her didn't stop spinning for a long time and I am very you know people should be held accountable for what they actually do and we're all adults, and yes, bad things happen to everyone, but we control how we move forward. But it was really beyond the veil for her to just go back to a normal life. The confidence loss professionally, on a professional level, on a personal level, you know, it wasn't paradise loss. It was confidence loss. It mm. was just a, I thought I was doing the right things. And that was part of the confusion and mm. what she was processing. She's like, you know, I wanted to go there. I wanted to learn the political process. I wanted to see it up close. I wanted to help make the world a better place in my own way. What did I do wrong? Was that not a good thing to want to do? You, know, you start second guessing every single thing. That got you there. And I'm like, there was nothing wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with wanting that. It was, again, that flip of a coin, she got a bad office. Mm-hmm. Because of one person and lots of people around him who I felt were very polished and had a deal with somebody bringing a complaint forward like that. She has a much bigger heart than I do. And God bless her, because this is probably what insulated her to the point where she can still function in this world. Um, now, I would argue that her life would have been not perfect. No one's is. But the energy she wasted trying to rebuild, basically reestablish a career interest, rebuild herself, Forever looking at men twice. You know, there should have been a system of, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but there should have been a, yeah, go to the hill, but here are the offices you may want and just not if you're a girl. Um, you know, there's one one term guy who only hired Victoria's Secret women in his office. He was there for one term. Um, he brought his own furniture and artwork and everything. So that, that was short-lived. Yeah. I didn't work there, but near that office. I mean, they're just people there for different reasons. And part of the disgusting thing to me is that he's still there. You know, it takes you 30 seconds to queue up a bunch of video compilations yeah. of him having no sense of personal space. Yeah. I wish I had been there to pull her out of that moment. And her mom wished the same thing, too. You know, today, girls and young women have more courage because more things are out in the light. But then, I mean, it wasn't Little House on the Prairie, but I mean, come on. It was just not not a world where you could speak up without, in some ways, worse things happening. Speaking up didn't make things better. Speaking up made things worse. 
her life would have been different. And I've always felt that for a moment that was literally probably something he has no recollection of. You know, I'd be happy if he knew what state he was in at any given time. But, you know, even that, even if, you know, doors flew open and security or Capitol Hill police came in, even then, I'm not sure that it would have resonated that what he was doing was wrong. When you still get voted into office, when you still get paid, when you still have people around you who are powerful in and of themselves protect you. And it's like, hey, I can keep going. Where's the line? I don't see it. And, you know, I'm as mad at the people around him. Enablers, yeah. That, yeah. I guess I'm angrier than I thought I was. Yeah. But, um, you know, all, all of my wanting her not to come forward, it's just to protect her. Because I, I feel that some things could get worse. I mean, there are crazy people out there I I worry for her safety Mm -hmm. you know the movement people started going after her last year with absolutely I mean laughable claims of I mean you know them really is is that really the go-to that that's your level of creative I'm just imagining people hearing this and they're gonna say oh, this person, why didn't you come out earlier? Don't believe her. She's obviously either making it up or it wasn't that big of a deal. And why would you come out now? What, what do you say to those people who think that or say that? Well, I'd say, honestly, I can understand the compulsion to not want to think that poorly of someone's behavior. However, these things actually do happen and they actually do happen to people who are daughters and eventually mothers who carry the heavier end of what happened than the guy and I feel that for every woman out there who had something actually happen she has at least one friend she told who never doubts it. And all that matters in the end is what life they can hold together with every bit of who they are and whatever they need to hold their lives together. I don't think they should be denied that. So she needs this process to grieve. Like they say, grief is very... People have to grieve in their own way. Some people, people should be let to grieve in their own way. It's a grief. It's a grief for the life she thought she was building. And, yeah, for her to go through, for her to need this, she's going to have to hear that. She's going to have to hear, well, how could you, you know, how could you ever vote for a Democrat after this? And, you know, any other number of you know, how could you, how could you? And, you know, I, I'm usually right there, too. When I see women, I'm like, well, you know, really? Okay, you know, how How can you show that? How, who, who did you tell? Why are you really coming forward? I'm as skeptical as anybody else. But I think of her, and I'm like, you know, she's not going to be believed by everyone, and I 
told her, I said, you're not going to get an apology. No one's going to throw you a parade. It's not going to turn back time. And people are going to say, you know, how could you still vote for Democrats? Why wouldn't you have come forward this aggressively sooner? And part of the timeline, frankly, is that her daughter is now kind of locked into the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never let go of your kids, at least good parents don't ever let go right. of your kids. And, you know, he, in my opinion, he took a lot of what was special away from her because she started second guessing herself and the way she looked at the world before this was really special. And yet, she still created the best childhood for her daughter she could with what she had and who she had in her life. And when her daughter was younger, there's absolutely no way she would have done anything by choice to make her daughter's life more stressful. She didn't want a teenage daughter or preteen daughter to hear things at school and have adult conversations that her daughter still doesn't need to hear. And, you know, now that her daughter is a young woman, I, I think the, well, why say, why jump up and down now? It's because her daughter's at less risk. Yeah. You know, a lot of her daughter's view of the world is baked in. Her view of men is baked in. And now it's game on for how her daughter's treated in the workplace. So that's part of her momentum to say, you know what? F it all. Yeah. Game on. Now I'm pissed. Yeah. And if she weren't a good mom, and there are plenty of bad moms out there, she would have probably come forward years ago, not caring about the destruction it would have caused for her daughter. But she was a good mom first. And that's why now is a better time. It's funny because what you said about how he took away so much of her that was special. Um, She told me about this older secretary who worked there who said to her something like, you were so enthusiastic and happy when you came here. And now there's something, you have a sadness and I'm sorry. And and said, if you ever want to talk and gave her her number. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, You know, and I'm not... I'm not saying this would have made it okay, but to me, there's a layer of all of this that it was a workplace. It wasn't like his first campaign, loosely structured, wheels falling off the car campaign staff. It's not really an office. They're not really business cards. It's, you know, you might be throwing a pizza every now and then, you know, falling you know, grand volunteer thing. This was her career. He was her boss. People in the office were her co-workers. There's a different expectation, and I don't think an unrealistic one. The 
there's a different expectation. And and she told you in real time about all about the um, being called in to serve. Asked about. Oh, you may not actually remember. Do you remember when she serving other cocktails? Yeah, he liked her legs. Yeah. and I'm like. So, so do you have to wear the bunny ears, the Hugh Hefner costume? Yeah. I mean, what, what the hell is this? Right. And you remember her telling you about the, um, that they told her to dress differently, right? Because you brought that up yourself. Yes. Yeah. And that was just annoying because yeah. I'm like, really? The only thing she could do at this point is show up in a potato sack or have a brown paper bag on her head. Yeah. Because I knew I worked for the good guys. Yeah. And I was just like, good guys, bad guys. Um, <laughs> since I knew... I respected those um, I've been with. I know I did reach back out to say, I know I didn't have this problem here, but someone I care about had a problem in another office. What should she have done? Because nothing's really better. Nothing's really happening. I want to help my friend. And basically, at that time, the path, she actually had already taken is what they said to do. They're like, oh, let me get back to you. And it's like, okay, if someone's having that type of problem, they need to go. You know, it wasn't like the architect of the Capitol, but there was some main central Hill HR office. I mean, this was decades ago. But yeah, basically everything they came back and said, well, somebody should do this. It's what she'd already done, but I never said, all right, here's my friend's name. Right. Here's her boss. There was nothing direct. Yeah. Um, and I'd ask, you know, from a process level, you know, nothing's happening. So it's like, we need to try something different. And I forget the name of the office, yeah. but basically it was outside of the Senate world. It was more of a high level, higher level congressional. Okay. Again, I don't think she should do this. Well, and, you know, there's so much, obviously, in the news right now that, you know, part of part of how I have challenged her, like, tried to counsel her, challenge her is, you know, your face has already been on the screen of, I think, ABC Evening News with other women a year ago. Nothing fucking changed. Pardon my French. I'm like, it's out, but... I knew, I knew then that she, you know, wasn't super happy to do it. She felt like she had to do it. Part, part of what I'm wondering is, are people even going to care? Well, and see, and the time's up angle is interesting to me. You know, I, I know I need to learn more about who they are and what they do, but I know enough to know that shouldn't they have leaned toward protecting her versus protecting him. Isn't that the whole point yeah, of getting women right. to come forward? Yeah. I'm almost proud that they admitted that they have. I mean, I, I'm conflicted. I'm happy with them on one hand, and I'm highly confused on the other. So what they're really saying is it's okay as a woman to come forward as long as you're, the person isn't actively running for office. But the minute they resign. Right. Candidacy. We're there for you. Yeah. The day after. Okay, well, thank you so much. Sure. All right. Well, good luck with your piece. Thank you. And if you can, please help my friend. And now I talk to Ryan Grimm, whose children start playing in the background. So we have to end the interview kind of short and suddenly. Hashtag Corona Life. 
Ryan Grimm is the Intercept journalist who broke the Christine Blasey Ford story at The Intercept. And likewise, he broke the Tara Reid story at The Intercept. And he talks to me about how the reactions to them have been different. Ryan Grimm was previously the Washington Borough Chief for HuffPost, where he led a team that was twice a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and won once. He's a contributor to the Young Turks Network and the author of the book, We've Got People, from Jesse Jackson to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, The End of Big Money and the Rise of a Movement. You can follow him on Twitter at Ryan Grimm. Can you tell me how reporting on this story compared to reporting on the Christine Blasey Ford story? Sure. I mean, the, there are, are a ton of differences, of course, but one similarity might be that the the press was reluctant to touch either one of these. And I think but for different for different reasons, um, the the Blasey Ford case was something that a lot of reporters knew about and were chasing in a way. But most most gave up. Uh, hit hit various walls. And what I ended up reporting was that the allegation existed. Um, I didn't report details on the allegation and I did not report her name. Right. And the, I, I only reported that there were people on the Judiciary Committee who were aware of it, senators who were aware of it and who wanted more information on it from the ranking Democrat, Diane Feinstein, um, and couldn't get it. And so there was a political controversy, which kind of allowed allowed me to make news out of it. And once that news broke open, um, then the floodgates were open and she, uh, Diane Feinstein, then turned over the information that she had to the FBI. It went into her, it went into Kavanaugh's kind of, you know, background file. And once it was in the background file, more people had access to it. And once more people had access to it, it was it was bound to leak. Right. And it was then a, it was then a huge story within a day or two. Right. And and so the press kind of moved on from me. Whereas with this story, you know, I reported the the fact that uh, Tara had come forward to up and Times Up had declined to take because. Um, the person she was accusing was Joe Biden and was running for federal office and time's up confirmed um, um, on the record. And then, you know, fairly soon after that, uh, you published your interview with her. But after that, there was very little follow up. Right. Uh, and so because there was so little follow up, then the focus was on kind of you and me. Yeah. Whereas with the with the Blasey Ford situation, the entire media, global media descended on the on the scene and so you know i i I just kind of backed away from that right went back to normal political coverage right so the parallel is that in both cases there were allegations there was an allegation that uh, blasey ford had made what was the actual thing that that feinstein was sitting on so she called um anna eshu who was who, who was her local uh, Congresswoman, uh, for, actually, first of all, she called the Washington Post and um, you know reached out through their tip line, but uh, but the Washington Post didn't get the story together until later. Right. Um, so she called Anna Eshoo. Eshoo uh, put it in a le- helped her put it in a letter, and 
they kind of hand delivered it, made sure that uh, Feinstein's office had it. Um, and so then she then was in touch with Feinstein's office. And the way that Ronan Farrow had reported it is that Feinstein's staffers urged her to kind of step back and said that, you know, this, that it was going to make the, it, that it, it was so long ago, it happened in high school, there, you know, she didn't have people that she had told at the time, a lot of people weren't going to believe her, it wasn't necessarily going to make a difference. And and Feinstein, Feinstein had t told colleagues, Farrow also reported that Feinstein had said that she didn't want a divisive confirmation fight. You know, she was running for re-election against a uh, against a progressive Democrat. So she, her challenge was on the left. Uh, so Feinstein's challenge was from her left. And so she needed to lock down Republican support, ironically, for her for her general election. So she was not eager. She was not eager to have uh, a contentious, um, ultimately losing confirmation fight in in that was centered around uh, sexual assault allegation from from decades earlier. That that was just not how she wanted this thing to go down. And so, I I think Blasey Ford, you know, heard 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 the staff out and said, you know, okay, fine, you know, why why like upend my life if the people who are in charge of this don't think it's a good idea and don't think it's going to work? But there were other Democrats who said, wait a minute, we we can't just wave this guy through if he attempted to rape somebody in high school um this we, we need we need to hear more about this um so that's that's where that okay that's that's how that ended up breaking out right so in that case you reported on something about the allegation once you did that the media the mainstream media was on it like instantly basically mm -hmm. um they didn't do a deep dive i assume they didn't do any foia requests before or they didn't get any FOIA, FOIA information before reporting on it because I think most places reported on it within four days. Um, and oh, even faster than yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Right. Sorry. Everyone reported on it. Um, it was it was like an instant. Right. They reported on it like the day of, I believe. But within four days, I think was when they mentioned her name because then her name came out. So her name wasn't right. on it first. So they they. All these places immediately did a, a, um, did pieces. The Washington Post, the New York Times, all the legacy media did pieces on mm -hmm. um, this story. So um, this time, there's another kind of thing where you don't break, you don't touch, you didn't touch Blasey, For Blasey Ford's allegations, right? You just touched the fact that there were. I said there were allegations. It it, it was high school. Right. Um, uh, it involved. Uh, Kavanaugh uh, and a friend at a party and and a woman, you know, who was a high school student at the okay. time. Um, but it, it, I did not get because I had heard various versions of it right. from the actual version that turned out to be the case to, uh, you know, some types of pranks or like other. Right. And so I, so I had multiple different sources telling different versions of it. Right. So I didn't tell a version of it. Right. I just said there, that, that, that there's a serious allegation. Right. So the story was a kind of meta story about Diane Feinstein sitting on allegations about sexual assault. Uh, did you say what it was sexual assault or it was just? Uh, no, no, just that it was, it was, uh, 
the, something, you know, it was a controversial incident right. at, a, at a party that involved him. and a, Right. Right. Okay. And no one was like, um, no one, I, maybe Republicans did this, but no liberals or mains or legacy media were like, why didn't Ryan report on the actual, what actually happened? And if he, if he didn't report on it, it means that he didn't believe her. Did that happen at all? Uh, no, okay. that, that, that didn't happen. And have you seen that happening in this case? I mean, I've seen it. People have said it to me, but I don't know if anyone's actually published it. Um, I don't know if you've come across that at all. Uh, I haven't seen it very okay. loudly if, right. if it has been yeah. if it has been out there. Um, so and then in this case, again, you write a meta story about um, a woman who had allegations of something more. Right. Who mm -hmm. um, went to tell her story to Time's Up and they um, would not give her PR support to tell this story. Or legal support. Right. Or legal yeah. support. Right. OK. Well, they have they told me and they told her that they're still happy to make referrals to attorneys okay because the, as she continues looking for attorneys right they're they're happy to continue providing that that service which is part of what they do they have a network of dozens of attorneys who take cases right. um of victims either pro bono or uh for a fee or with uh financial support from time's up right it, it was the financial support that Time's Up said they could not offer right. because those were 501c3 dollars and Joe Biden was a federal uh, candidate, candidate for federal right. office. And you spoke to a tax attorney who said that that was a kind of dubious claim uh, or dubious reasoning. Right. You could, you could probably find an extremely conservative lawyer who would tell you that, you know, it's always sure. better not to come anywhere near the line. But right. The, the standard... Uh, this, the standard advice that tax attorneys would give is that if you have a set of criteria for the types of cases that you take, that as long as you're meeting that criteria, you're, you're not going to be in trouble if the person happens to be running for, for federal office. Right. But, and if your criteria is we go after powerful men in male-dominated industries who have you know, allegations made against them by women – and your case fits that criteria, then the IRS is not really going to be able to make a case that you're just electioneering here. Right, right. And so how did the response to this story compare to the response to the Blasey Ford story? And how do you see the differences in terms of how credible or how backed by evidence these different claims are? Well, they're, they're really interesting in that uh, Tara has objectively more corroborate more contemporaneous corroboration uh you know she told uh her mother her uh her brother to a to a slightly different degree and and her friend um at the time her mother has since passed away but her friend and her brother both remember that she did in fact tell her her mother so even though her mother's not here with us to say that yes Right. It's it's true that she told me this. We we have two people who say, yeah, she she did tell her mother. Right. So that's in a way that's three um, right. people. She she also said that her mother called into the Larry King live show, right, uh, sometime in the '90s, to say that her daughter had 
um, you know, been sexually harassed right. by, by a powerful senator and retaliated against, uh, that's a needle in a haystack that yeah. we have not been able to find yet because um, she doesn't know what year it was. Right. They don't the, – the show did not use even first names. Right. Just say, you know, call her from Seattle. Right. And so – but the fact that she – you know, was willing to say that that happened. Um, it is a that's that's a credible thing to say, right? You know, because if it's not true, yeah, why would like you? Somebody somebody could ultimately maybe prove that it's not true. It's hard to find, right? Um, so so there are those there are those um, you know there are those corroborating pieces. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Blasey Ford was just clearly a a just more viscerally kind of compelling victim because of her professional status and the way that she you know comported herself yeah you know no, nobody will ever forget like the way that she carried herself at that hearing um in the her, her line indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter right uh you, you're just you know she's she's a She's, right. You know, she's a psychiatric professional, right? Who, who Stan, knows a Stanford professor, right? Stanford professor who know, who knows about trauma, um, and you you hear her telling her story and you you believe it, right? Uh, now, well, plenty of plenty of people on the right sure. certainly did not, right? Um, but so it, it it had a just a visceral resonance, yeah. Um, Whereas, uh, you know, Tara's hasn't, she hasn't been in front of any congressional uh, committees yet. You know, she told, you know, she told part of her story a year ago, uh, but not the, the whole story. And so, you know, that's going to raise questions among people. Um, and there's, a, you know, there's a, there's a class issue going on here. Big time. Tara's, Tara's broke. Um, Bloody Ford is clearly well you know highly educated you know professional accomplished woman right yeah um yeah and tara is like they're just very different stylistically mm -hmm. right and also tara like lazy ford does not have medium posts where she's right. fawning over vladimir putin right right yeah any okay if we were applying the me too standards to ta to tara none of this would matter it wouldn't matter that she right. had said weird stuff about putin which she definitely did but she also like okay like lots of people on the left are like we're too hard on russia um, right right for for northern california you're yeah, gonna find exactly, all kinds right. all, all types yeah yeah and, right. she's like median north northern california yeah. liberal yeah exactly so, no offense to Northern California. No, Liberals yeah. love them. Love them, but they they definitely present differently. And now I talk to Rich McHugh. Rich was a supervising producer in the NBC News investigative unit where he and correspondent Ronan Farrow spent a year investigating sexual misconduct allegations against the Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein. After their investigation was shut down at NBC, it was published in the New Yorker magazine and won the Pulitzer Prize. So, Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, can you tell us how you started covering the story and what you found about found out about it? Uh, it actually came through some of my previous work. I, I remain in touch with a lot of the uh, Weinstein survivors, and I had recently written about the trial and everything. 
one of them had reached out to me and said, hey, Rich, can you take a look at this? Um, there's this woman, and I think it would benefit um, you guys. It would be a benefit for you guys to talk. Uh, it might be good for you to look into her her case, and that was Tara Reed. The story has now been covered in the mainstream media. She has filed a criminal complaint uh, with the D.C. Metro Police as of last week, last Thursday. And there is this kind of moment now where uh, everybody's considering, you know, her allegations, her accusations, and the responses to it. It seems like it's kind of in a, in, a, in a pause. People are trying to figure out where this goes. You tweeted out that the Washington Post um, had a piece about Tara Reid, and it quoted the complaint that she filed Thursday with the D.C. Mm-hmm. police. And it says, Reid, quote, disclosed that she believed she was the victim of sexual assault. And then as you continue, but the complaint I reported from last Friday when I broke the story in Business Insider states that Reid disclosed that she was the victim of a sexual assault in 1993. And then you write, why the addition of the two words she believes? See the report below, redacted for privacy. So can you explain to people the significance of that? Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, when when you're quoting really sensitive documents like this, you you have to check your work and be doubly certain that what you're actually saying from this person's mouth, in this case, it was Tara Reed's mouth, um, is in fact accurate and you know i checked you know because because this the nature of the allegation is so uh sensitive and and explosive and so when i quoted it i I was pretty sure i was correct and then when i saw the washington post story um i I was talking with one of my editors at the uh, business insider john cook and he said um he actually pointed it out to me he's like did you get a different copy of the, the the police report? And I said, you know, look at the copy. And look, and so I, after looking through the copy, I was like, did I have this wrong? And I literally just put it out on Twitter as a question because I was like, you know, either either the police report has been has been you know changed, maybe under pressure from somebody, mm. um, or 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 the or their copy is wrong. Either either one is bad. And right. I'm not accusing anybody, but I sure. just, I'm putting it out there. I'm like, this is odd because, and um, I, you know, made some calls and basically was steered down a road that saying, no, your copy is good. Um, and so the Washington Post, uh, I believe it was yesterday, um, correct, made a correction to their story and, and changed it to, to reflect what was actually on the police report. Did you freak out for a second? Like, did you think you got it wrong? I was nervous that I got it wrong. Yes, because I was like, I didn't, you know, you never want to be wrong with right. a story like this. You want to just be bulletproof. And um, I was nervous. And But then I was like, you know what? I went back and checked the document that I had. And then I obtained on on Friday or Thursday night. I forget now. But um, and I was like, no, there it is. Yeah. So something's up because I have the correct document, and that's not what the quote says. Right. And so, to be fair, I guess the Washington Post did correct it. Um, wh- yeah. Yeah. Tell me how reporting on this has been. How it compares to reporting on the Weinstein stories, and what you learned from reporting on Weinstein about. Um, reporting on sexual assault and also on taking on like uh, powerful men, basically. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I'll say that even before reporting on Weinstein, um, when I was working with Ronan at NBC, we did a story about sexual assault on college campuses. And that was where I really learned, um, you know, w- w- uh, the, the difficulty in just telling, telling one person's story, you know, who, regardless of who they are, uh, with regard to this, this topic, because it's so, it's so sensitive and so personal. And um, when, when you're accusing somebody of, of horrific things like this. Um, and so I really learned how to, how to kind of treat this subject matter, or at least I was starting to learn. Weinstein was a totally different thing. It was like, it was, it was that on steroids and with all the pressures being um, directed at us yeah. not to report this story it really crystallized, you know, it makes you crystallize where you have to focus and in, in, in order to get a story like this across the finish line, which is in print, because there are, you know, the challenges are always the same. You have to, you have to prove, you know, that it's, that it's, that it's reportable, that you have the facts that you've spoken to enough people and you're, you're, you're trying to do this the whole way through and connect, you collect data points that kind of say, you know, you're on the right track or, you, you should pull back from the story. And so um, I, I'd say that there, there are similarities between these two stories and there are differences. The similarities are that when you go up against a powerful person and you're, you're, someone's alleging something, um, there, there are added pressures in getting that story across the finish line. And, um, you know, in this case, I'd say um, there is there's this added layer of politics that's clouding everything. And I'd say, you know, what I learned in Weinstein and applied here is that you have to, you, you, you literally have to strip out the politics if that's possible, because it's, it's part of the story, but look at this story. If the politics were not involved and how would you treat this? And that's what I tried to do with, with this, um, with Tara's story. And why did she file this police report? Based on your conversation, well, I can with her. I can only go from what she said, course, but she course. said she's she's filed it for safety reasons that she was harassed uh, last year when she first came out. She she is, you know, I think it's fair to say she's afraid uh, of what what could be could happen to her because of what she's alleging. Um, she also wanted it known that she is she you know when she told me this, I thought it was. Uh, I was struck by it, which she said, I, I want people to know that even though this happened 26 years ago, this did happen. And I want people to know that I'm willing to go right. under oath and work with law enforcement. And when she filed it and, and then afterwards told me that I was like, this is a story at right. this point. This is a story, you know, um, just because somebody alleges something against a presidential candidate doesn't mean it's a story. But when, you know, certain people can corroborate parts of a story and you as a reporter chase down things and then there's a police report filed, um, that that raised it to a different level instantly right. and made it reportable. Right. And just so people know, what happened was um, uh, Tara Reid in April 2019, when Lucy Flores came forward to accuse Joe Biden of inappropriately touching her, Tara Reid came forward and said that Biden had done similar things to her, inappropriate touching, when she was working for him as a legislative aide in 1993. Now, she 
as as we'll soon see, or now as we now know, there was more to her story. And she wanted to tell the rest of her story, which involved allegations of sexual assault. But she didn't feel safe doing that because as soon as, soon as she came out and kind of... And what motivated her, interestingly enough, was that she saw Lucy Flores, the Nevada politician who had accused Joe Biden of inappropriately touching her. She saw her being attacked. So that is one of the reasons she wanted to come forward was kind of to in, in solidarity and to defend Lucy Flores and say, no, he does do this. And then what happened was right away, people started pointing to these totally irrelevant writings she had done about uh, Russia and Putin has nothing to do with the veracity of her claims about about Joe Biden. And she was harassed and she was smeared online. She was called a Russian agent. Um, it affected her in terms of interviews for jobs. People would Google her and this would come up. She even had someone call her. She told me call her and threaten her and say that like he knew where she lived. So she was afraid. And then she wanted to tell her story and she sought the support of Time's Up, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that is uh, exists to support women in telling their Me Too stories. And uh, as Ryan Grimm reported at The Intercept, um, Time's Up told Tara they couldn't give her PR support. They couldn't help her tell her story. And they said it was because she was alleging Joe Biden. Now, they didn't say it's because you're accusing Joe Biden of this and we like Joe Biden. They just said we can't do this because he's running for federal office and that would violate our nonprofit status, which is something that um, a lot of lawyers, I mean, I don't, you're not a lawyer. I don't know if you have any comments on that. I will say that Ryan Grimm quoted a lawyer mm -hmm. who said that's a pretty dubious reasoning. Um, you can't like support people who accuse people in one party and not the other party. But by this logic, they also couldn't support people accusing Donald Trump of anything. So anyway, that that's uh, that's kind of where it stands now. And then um, she was interviewed by um, Ryan Graham. I spoke to her and then people were kind of quiet about it. And there was some attempts to explain the, the lack of coverage. And as you said, there were corroborators, uh, her brother and her close friend. She told her brother, her close friend and her mom at the time. Her mom has since died. But I spoke to the friend and the brother, as did you. Right, Rich? Yep. And uh, how did you find their... What did they tell you? I, you know, I found them, I found her brother, Colin, very measured and, and, you know, I'd say credible. Mm -hmm. I, he, he wasn't out there screaming, like, I want to talk to you. It's like, you know, I had to, to pull certain things out of him and use it. That's a sign that, that, you know, that I, that you're getting the truth. Um, and same thing with the, her friend, um, who, who you also spoke with yeah. and know, like, I, you know, I, I asked her a ton of questions and there was no discrepancy that I found. Right. And it kind of, it, it just advances the, 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 the trust you have in a story to a certain point, you know, and you can, I, I should say like, I didn't discredit the, the Russia writings and, and other things like that. Like it's part, it's all part of the equation that you have to factor mm -hmm. whether you're going to go forward with this. And it's certainly, you know, part of the conversation, but. I think her the the, the corroborating voices right. um, were what what you know con convinced me that it was it was worthy of continuing to report. Yeah, and then I, my, my, the bar for me was like, can I advance the story if it if it's in a meaningful way? And I was just kind of stuck there for a little bit, and then I found out she filed the police report, and I was like, I have I have to report this now. Like this is this is this is real.
Right. Um, and anything else you want to make sure our listeners know or that you want to share about your reporting on this or other stories? No, I think it's just it's important that, um, you know, the, these are sensitive topics. And I get it that it's a it's a it's a presidential election. But um, it's important that I, I think that if there's there is a bedrock there of um, I can't say complete corroboration. But there's enough that this story, you know, deserves to be heard and investigated and continue to be investigated. Um, We shouldn't be just, we shouldn't be playing judge and jury um, prior to going down the hole, like going going through the investigation. Because it's politically, maybe politically inconvenient or unappealing. Yeah. I mean, she even said to me, you know, I think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the politically inconvenient woman, right. you know, and I don't think she, I don't think she at this point wants either of them to win the election. Right. Yeah. Um, she just wants to be, she just wants to be heard in a dignified way. That's my understanding. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rich, for joining us. And where can people find you, Rich McHugh? Um, well, I'm, I'm writing for Business Insider and Vanity Fair and Great. on Twitter, Rich McHugh. Great. And uh, I'm going to stay on this. Great. Thank you. And we'll have you back on. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. The Katie Halper Show is produced by Josh Bregman, edited by Ted Reedy, and our theme song is by the band Cordova. Make sure that you check out my YouTube channel because I'm starting to put up videos there. YouTube.com slash Katie Halper. Also, check out my guardian piece that's dropping soon about tara reed i recorded my interview with rich McHugh last week so i'll be having him on again to get a new update please support the katie helper show at patreon that's patreon.com slash the katie helper show again that's patreon.com slash the katie helper show rate and review us on itunes bye